CKUT 90.3 FM in Montreal and on www.ckut.ca on the World Wide Web. News, interviews, and music featuring the voices of prisoners, their allies, and supporters. Tune in to the Prison Radio Show on the fourth Friday of every month between 11 a.m. and noon, and every second Thursday of the month between 5 and 6 p.m. To get involved in Prison Radio, or if you need to access past programs, email prison at ckut.ca. job, Harvey, to give a man back the dignity he once had. Your only interest is in how he behaves. You'll conform to our ideas of how you should behave. I am not a number. I am a free man. You were a number. You weren't a man. You want to be a human. I wasn't Jim Crow. And hell, I was number 586. Why do you do a warder's job? It's a good job. Responsible job. Uh, officers like myself trying to... Scum. We're only enforcing the law. Oh, the law. The law. When they hang my husband, is that just? And off? Hi, this is Gene, and welcome to the Prison Radio Show on CKUT 90.3 FM. I am your host for today's show. We would like to acknowledge that CKUT is located on unseated, Haudenosaunee, Ashinabekanaki, and Mohawk territories. Okay, let's turn to some news. A lot of news. Okay, the prison. Okay, prison riots leaves 57 dead in northern Brazil. This was just last month, in July 29th, 2019. Now, this is by Ernesto Londano for New York Times. This is Rio de Janeiro. A fight between rival gangs in a prison in northern Brazil left at least 57 inmates dead, including at least 16 who were decapitated, according to prison officials. The clash in Para State was the latest deadly outbreak of violence in Brazil's overcrowded and riot-prone prisons, which have seen an increase in population in recent years without investments to match. Powerful drug kingpins often continue to run their criminal organizations from behind bars in the unstaffed under-unstaffed detention facilities. And while prison officials often segregate rival gangs, feuds frequently, feuds frequently erupt into violence. A similar fight at a prison in a neighboring Amazona prison in May resulted in the death of 55 inmates. Officials said inmates at the regional recovery sentence in El Altamira, a city in southeast Para, held two prison guards hostage during an altercation that began early Monday morning. A fire broke out during the fight. When officials regained control of the prison, they found at least 16 inmates had been decapitated and 41 had died from smoke inhalation. Today's massacre in Altamira is another grim reminder that the federal and state governments have lost control of Brazil's prison system, said Robert Mugaga, the research director at the Igarapa Institute, a think tank in Rio de Janeiro that studies public safety. Prison violence is the predictable result of long-standing policy of mass incarceration. The deaths result from a clash between rival gangs that have vied for control of prison for the prison correctional officials in Paris said. Members of the one group, Commando Class A, 
set fire to cells that were occupied by members of Commando Vermaloa, or Red Command. The prisoners managed to hold a couple of guards hostage, but they were set free because this was about score settling between two factions. Officials said they found rudimentary knives in the area after the fire was extinguished. Conducted this month by the National Justice Council, a government agency that oversees prison facilities, found 43 inmates, even though it had the capacity to house only 163. In a statement, the prison system disputed the facility was overcrowded. Largest inmate population, surpassed only by the United States and China. Despite long system, there is little political will in Brazil for criminal justice reforms that, reduce, that would reduce prison population and prioritize rehabilitation. Justice Minister, Justice Minister Sergio Moro said the federal government has offered to transfer leaders of factions involved in the clash to federal prisons to isolate those responsible for the barbarity. He said they ought to remain held forever in federal prisons. President Jair Bolsonaro, the federal lawmakers, are seeking to toughen sentences for drug crimes, which is likely to make prison overcrowding even worse. Unfortunately, most Brazilians will shrug off this latest outbreak of violence. Now, man, ritual of bloodletting in the country's prisons, said Mr. Magab of the Igarapa Institute. So, okay, let's move on to another uh, travesty. Prisoners die of old age behind bars, reported by Melissa Bailey for Kaiser Health News, December 16, 2016. Now, I realize this isn't 2019, but this was a few years ago, and we've had a big problem here in Canadian prisons, federal prisons. The same thing for overcrowding and also for older, older prisoners. And matter of fact, the Human Rights Commission and the federal ombudsman for prisons are coming out with, they came out with a report just lately, a couple months ago, and there's going to be a big thing about it in the future here because we're having the same problem here in Canadian prisons. So anyway, as we go on here, as the result, as the number of prison, older prisoners soar, more inmates are dying in prison and diseases that affect the elderly, new data from the Department of Justice show. Now this is the States, but we have the same problem here in Canada. Okay, a total of 3,483 inmates died in state prisons and 444 in federal prisons in 2014. The highest numbers on record since the Bureau started counting in 2001. According to data issued through Thursday by the Department Bureau of Justice Standards, Statistics. In addition, 1,053 inmates died in local jails where suicide is on the rise. The U.S. has the world's largest prison population with over 2 million people behind bars. While that population has been shrieking in recent years, deaths in custody have climbed steadily. The deaths reflect a dramatic shift in the prison population. The number of federal and state prisoners aged 55 or older reached over 151,000 in 2014, a growth of 250 percent since 1999. As this population grows, prisons have begun to serve as nursing homes and hospice wards caring for the sickest patients. The majority of state prisoners who died in 2014 were 55 years or older, and 87% of state prisoners died of disease illness, according to the report. The most common illnesses were heart disease, cancer, and liver failure. These point out how, to, how, how dramatically prison, prisoners' health care needs are changing. Older prisoners have complex medical problems, are vulnerable to violence, and may require intensive care at the end of their life said Gilbert Elbner, Senior Staff Counsel at the American Civil Liberties Union's National Prison Project, 
which files class action lawsuits on behalf of prisoners seeking better mental health and medical care. The prisons are not equipped to handle the generic geriatric population he charged. For instance, Ebner recalls one case of a veteran in his 80s who suffered from Alzheimer's disease and other ailments. Housed with the general inmate population in a large urban jail, the man kept getting into fights and pulling out his catheter. The inmate, who developed an infection and died, should have been kept in a medical unit at the outset, Edmer said, and then added Thursday's data raises the question, do we need to be keeping all these people behind bars? In jail, the leading cause of death was suicide, which rose from 328 to 372 from 2013 to 2014. Suicide is accounted for over a third of deaths in jails. The suicide rate is now 50% or 50 per 100,000 jail inmates. That's the highest it's been since the Bureau of Justice Statistics started counting in, 20, 000, in 2000. But far better than the 1980s when it ran as high as 129 per 100,000, said statistician Margaret Newman, who wrote in Thursday's report. Overall, more than a third of the jail deaths appeared, uh, happened during an inmate's first seven days behind bars, according to the report. The prison data doesn't include deaths that occur in privately run federal prisons or deaths by execution. For prisoners clamoring to spend their dying days at home, U.S. prison jurisdictions have, have some laws on the books, often called compassionate release or medical parole, allowing for early release of prisoners who are very sick and not a threat. But in practice, very few inmates are set free through these programs, said Dr. Bree Williams, director at the University of California Criminal Justice and Health Project in San Francisco. Williams and others have called for expanding these programs, in part to alleviate, alleviate strained state budgets. Inmates are not eligible for Medicare, so state prisons and jails pay full freight for their medical care, which may include expensive trips, chaperoned by guards, to emergency rooms or specialists in hospitals. Medical care for older prisoners costs three to nine times more than for their younger peers, according to the Human Rights Watch. Williams has lobbied for compassionate release programs to include prisoners who have significant functional decline or cognitive uh, impairment, or just those who are deemed to have six months to a year to live, which has historically been the standard and is difficult to predict. But many of these older inmates committed violent offenses, such as murder and rape, and political pressure from victims and advocates and the public makes it hard to release prisoners early, said Dr. Mark Stern, a criminal justice consultant who served as medical director of Washington State Corrections Department from 2002 to 2008. Stern said that when he oversaw the medical component of, state of Washington's compassionate release program, the first person he approved for release went horribly. The man claimed he was so debilitated he couldn't walk, but once the prisoner was set free, TV news cameras caught him walking outside his home, manicuring his lawn. Stern said, the state threw the man back behind bars and grew much more cautious about whom it released, Stern said. Massachusetts also cracked down on early release after former prisoner Dominic Sinelli killed a police officer in 2010 while out on parole from a life sentence. That fatal shooting had far-reaching effects for other ailing prisoners. Diane Babcock of Vermont was lobbying for her dying husband's release from Massachusetts prison. She described her husband, John Babcock, as a career criminal whose heroin addiction had driven him to rob banks. He spent over two decades behind bars. At the end of his life, he did liver cancer, liver, liver cancer and, uh, from hepatitis C. 
At 57, she said he was in tremendous amounts of pain. I would have been lucky if he could have walked to the bathroom. Prison health officials cleared Babcock for early release, but the state parole board wouldn't let him out, and he died in prison in 2011. I wanted him to be able to come home and live what remaining time he had left in some sort of comfort, she said. That didn't happen. Meanwhile, Williams has been watching the population of older prisoners continue to grow, outpacing the general population of the U.S. As this trend continues, she said prison and jails need to catch up. I'm talking about a massive expansion of the field of palliative care into the correctional system, she said. So it's integrated into the fabric of correctional care. Well, you know, we have the same thing up here in Canada. It takes forever to do anything. And when it comes down to money being spent... Unfortunately, you know, the federal government in both countries, they're slow to react because they don't want to spend the money because it would be a large amount of money. They've got to quit putting overcrowding people in jail, and they got to, uh, the ones who are behind bars, it's their duty to take care of them medically. So, hopefully that's it. Okay, that's been the news. The time is currently 11.13 a.m., And you're listening to the Prison Radio Show on CKUT, 90.3 FM, 91.7 on cable, and www.ckut.ca. Next, we have a couple of songs to play, followed by an interview with Catherine Pelche, the directors of the program Tuatabor, based right here in Montreal.
Wow, now that was some great music. Now we're going to go to a great interview with Calvin Pauci. Hi, I'm Gene, coordinator for the Prisoner Radio Show. I'm here with Catherine Pelche, director for the program Trois d'Abord. Welcome, Catherine. Thanks for having me. Ah, it's a pleasure, believe me. Can you start with telling our listeners who you are? I'm the directress of the program. The program was created eight years ago, and I'm here since the beginning. In French, we have an expression, it means I'm wearing all the hats. I do follow-ups. I do promotion, I do evaluation, I clean apartments <laughs> when I have to. Um, I do a little bit of everything, but I'm not alone. I, we're, we're two people now. So how did this program start? After observation that we found major problem in social reinsertion because there are inmates who, despite their best intention and effort to change, didn't reach their goal. So we started to ask questions, why? And we understood that when people getting out of halfway houses, they were facing a lot of challenges. Uh, we basically created the, the program to reduce stress on inmates who um, express a genuine desire to change, not only by providing them a roof over their head, but also by giving them support, encouragement, and coaching in all of the many steps they will have to go through to find their comfort zone in the community. Okay, but there's more to it than that. Like, how did it start? Like, I mean, what was the very beginning? Oh, actually, sorry, I didn't answer that. <laughs> okay, I used to be a um, surveillance agent, and I was uh, unhappy. And uh, I used to have a big caseload of 60 people, and we were a team. So we were about five people in this place where we had all 60 people on our caseload and one day in a meeting my boss asked us to look at our caseload and evaluate how many people would need housing services and then right away I was thinking to myself well they're gonna start something you know they, they're gonna start apartments or something and it used to be for provincial but eventually it never worked out they, they were no money and all kind of excuses so we turned to federal but Anyway, I was really, really excited, and the next morning I was in his office, and I was telling him, you know, if you're starting something, I want to be there, I want to work on it, and he tried to deny it, but I was so insistent that <laughs> that he, he gave it all away, like all the information and everything. So I started working voluntarily at first to gather up information and to construct everything and to think and uh, correct. You know, it was a essay-error. So, yeah, I was the first one, but there was a team behind me who already did most of the research and partnership with the owners at the beginning. So we started with, um, well, the concept of Toi d'abord is try to reproduce as closely as possible the real life in an apartment. So the concept is that we created partnership with owners and we have few apartments in a regular building and our apartments are spread on different floors. The concept is that we wanted that the resident have the same experience as a real... Um, as every other citizen in society. Exactly. So the neighbors are regular people from the community. It's not only ex-inmates. They really are as much as possible into the normal society and uh, they go from there. 
Yeah, that's what we we try to do. There's a regular janitor, there's owners, they have to pay their rent, not to us, but to the owners and everything. We create the link, of course, with the janitor and with the owners and everything. Well, I think it's a pretty good deal for them to have us, honestly, because we clean the apartment between our residents. We clean, we paint, the apartment are all furnished and we, we, we pay for the furnitures and everything. So the owners can sleep on their... Yes, yeah, so they know that they're in good hands with you. Yeah, if there's safe. a problem, we yeah. take care of it. So that's one good thing, too. They don't pay electricity, hydro. Well, to come back to your first question, so Tuadabar, like I said, it's in the regular buildings. We have one and a half and two and a half. They're all furnished, and the hydroelectricity is included. And we provide, of course, the support service. Okay, one thing that you had brought up earlier to me, you said that this program is for federal prisoners. Mm-hmm. But from what I've seen, there's also, it's not just for males, it's for females and males, right? Yes, it's for Francophone, Anglophone. Well, you can see my limitation in my English, uh, but still English I can, I, I can well. work a little bit in English, so I can get by. So it's for men and women also. I think it was another positive criteria for us we don't discriminate. I had references in the past that a person who wanted, I don't know the word in English, but it, he was a trans. Transgender. Yeah, yeah. And he was refused in men organization and he was refused in women organization. And the good thing is since everybody, every resident in Tuadabar have their own apartment, they don't have to share a bathroom, they don't have to share the kitchen. They are like normal residents. So who cares if you're a woman or a man or a trans or like whatever. Now, I didn't know that part about the transgender, which is really great. I think you mentioned to me earlier that this is the only program in Quebec for women. Well, in our kind of field, there's a a lot of services in Montreal, kind of our Bible. And there's a big book, big like a Bible, of everything that exists as resources. Mm -hmm. But in our field, with ex-inmates, to my knowledge anyway... We are the only one providing the supervised apartment in Montreal for women, yeah. Isn't that something? Like, I realize men far outnumber women prisoners. Yeah. But still, prisoner is a prisoner, and they get out, they do, everybody deserves the equal chance at success at moving forward, becoming a law-abiding citizen of society. So isn't that something that Montreal, second largest city in Canada, and there's only one place, yours, that offers a supervised apartment. And when I say supervised, you're not a parole officer or anything here. And maybe you can get into that, what you expect from the people here and what you do. Yeah, well, for men, you know, like you said, there's way more men than women in prison. So they have more services for sure. But yeah, they have us since 2010. So I guess it's a a foot in the right direction. Okay, I would like to know when an ex-prisoner arrives here, and I keep saying ex-prisoner because for me, when you come out just because you're out, you're still treated by society as an ex-prisoner. So that's why I personally say that. So when an ex-person or a male or female get here, what are they walking into? What do they expect? And what do you expect from them? I mean, you're not watching over them. They can make their own choices as members of society. Well, we learned really quickly since our formation in the university that if you want to work in criminology, you need to have no expectations. Okay, no expectations. This way, it's easier not to be disappointed. So I, I, I welcome them as they are. We have to remember that Tuadabar is a voluntary service. So it's people who applied at Tuadabar. I don't force anybody or the parole board cannot say that you need to go to Tuadabar. It's really a voluntary thing. So I really welcome everyone who wants to come to us. What they really need or looking for is really a roof, that it's clean, that it's cheap, but in a good environment. 
It's a place where they can call home. They can use for a few months to get their feet back on the ground. I don't know. Like, and catch then it. put money aside and then leave. In French, we call it a tremplin. Well, it's like a general practice of the, um, the real life. So they expect us to be there when they need. They usually don't have that much expectations about the support service, but we always tell them that it, it, it's a package deal. We, we provide the apartment, but we don't have any subvention for the prices of the apartment. So the, the subvention we have is for the support we provide. So it's a package deal. We, you cannot take an apartment without the support. If you think that you don't need the support, then you don't need Toi d'Abao. That's important for them to understand. And every time that someone is interested by Toi d'Abao, it always goes through their PO. And then I always send pictures, I send our flyers, and I send our guidebook where all the regulation, all the procedures, all the services we can provide are listed, it, examples of them. Anyway. It's not a halfway house, so you have to be on oh. full parole to come here, right? Yes, there's technicality, and I don't really know in English, but there's full parole, there's two-thirds day parole, but fractionary. You have to go uh, three days at the halfway house and four days here. I also have, the, in French, it's called OSLD. It's a long-term surveillance. But everybody who's coming here cannot be assigned. So on your paper that the parole board give you, there's no assigned to be in a halfway house because we are not in a halfway house. We don't do surveillance. We don't do... People ask me, do you do um, surveillance rounds? I'm like, I'm always laughing. It's like, it's your apartment. You're in your house. You're in your home. I'm not allowed to enter your, your home without, you know, in any emergency anyway. I, I cannot, I don't do that. If I remember correctly, you ask them, how are you doing? Okay, make sure their rent's paid. Other than that, they're pretty well. They get their, they go out and do it into society. Hopefully they get their job or whatever they do, school. That's it. And they continue on. So that's, that's basically it. it. Like it's really a minimal Well, it depends. Intervention. I have people who's really autonomous and I have people way less autonomous than the others. So it, it depends on the needs of every person. I have people who's getting out of jail since a long time. They don't have any bank account. They don't have, they don't know how to apply to welfare. They have debts. They have this and that. And we make a lot of phone calls. We do a lot of accompaniment. So it's, it's really like a frontline social worker. Yeah, it depends. Well, I'll tell you what, the amount of work, the heart and soul you put into helping these people, now you can say that's part of your job, but you go beyond what I've seen before, and you personalize this a lot more. I know that when I got here, I was completely lost, and you helped me in so many ways, like rent, the, uh, changing addresses, getting more subventions, all the government agencies I had to contact. I knew nothing about that. might not be a big thing to people who would be out, but if you never had done that, I was inside for many years, you know, there was a lot of difficult challenges ahead yeah. of me but you know I'm glad I faced them and uh, if it wasn't for you helping me I don't know but I'd like to think I still would have succeeded but it would have been a lot yeah, harder because we and, don't change yeah. life you know I, I don't pretend that we have like we have the power of changing life of people but it provide help and sometimes just the little push that people need well, if nothing else, you know, when you have somebody who says, okay, calm down, here's what we're going to do, that makes a person calm down and see, okay, maybe things aren't so hopeless because when you've been inside a long time, come out and have to do things that you're not used to doing, you sort of get stressed and say, well, I can't do it. You know, you give up pretty fast. And to have somebody there say, whoa, 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 here, I'm going to help you. Yeah. And you get over we're that. And go do it together. And yeah. then after a few times like that, you start saying, hey, you know, like if I have a problem. Catherine I can, is I useful. Can, well, Catherine is very <laughs> useful. But 
you know, you realize the problems are not insurmountable. And especially when you, if you are stuck, you can go to somebody who is willing to help you and knows how to help you. That's a very, very big thing. You you have different people. Some like the long-term and short-term guys. When I say short-term, I mean like guys who've been in two, three years, four years. But you have people, who, some old, old guys, some lifers who've been in for 20, 30 years. There must be a difference in in in, uh, in the challenges for them compared to the other ones. Uh, do, you, do you see that? Like, we went over that a bit already, so mm-hmm. I don't want you to go into that too much, but it, it, what's the problems you see between them two? Is there more medical type things? Well, I think there's different challenges. Well, okay. I think everybody's different and have their own challenges. But the main challenges that we can see anyway, it's that it's loneliness and boredom. And really, I always call them our guys, but I know there's women. It's just that I'm used to call them our guys. Our our guys, our, our lifers, are it really hard to convince to try to, anyway, to start to interact with, with people other than inmates and whatever resources or organization outside of Correctional Service Canada or outside jail thing. So they know, uh, they know Recon, they know Entre Libre, they know Centre de Justice Réparatrice, which is a really great organization, by the way. You know, it's always linked to being or have been an inmate. And it's it's really hard to convince them just to get out of this circle in general. I also have guys, you know, a, a lot of users or ex-users, and um, they always think that they, they, they cannot offer anything else than talking about their past. And they, they always think that they're so different from the rest of the citizen that they, they cannot have a normal conversation with with an ordinary person person and it's really hard to convince them that they have things to offer and they, they can have great conversation and they are interesting in other way than saying that I've been ti- I've been doing time or I've been doing crimes or I've been doing drugs or things like that you know they have there are other things than that and it's it, it takes time and it, unfortunately our subvention allows us only to work with them for a maximum of one year or the end of the expiry, the expiry Monday, date. Yeah, yeah, date. Yeah. So if the person comes comes at Tuadabar and he only have eight months left on his mandate, uh, we only have eight months, and then you know we don't we cannot work uh, many goals in eight months, depending uh, what are the goals, of course. Yeah, but your main goal is these pers- these people have worked hard enough to get to this position. So yeah. you're offering them extra chance by a controlled rent, which is low. Uh, they don't have to worry about paying hydro and all that. And they but it's not that low. It's not 20. Just to make sure, because I have a lot of guys calling me and saying, oh, you know, the rent is what, like 200? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's regular price. You know, but it's a little bit more interesting, a little bit like lower than the regular apartments because we we made such great deals but still it, it's yeah, it's well, not 25 percent of your revenue i understand as, but um, you know if you're paying two three hundred less than you normally would that's that's a big deal when you first get out but you know you for what you offer for what your group is it's really great for that so 
What are your personal successes that you had over the years? You've been doing this for, what, nine years now? It's going to be nine years, I think, in December. Okay, so you've been doing this for nine years. Like you say, these people, they have to take responsibility for themselves. You're not there to hold their hand. You give them the best support, the best package you can out of what your program offers, and it's on their own. But, I mean, you must have seen some success stories. Of course, and the, the greatest reward we have is to keep the link with previous residents. Yeah, we, we keep in touch. And the, the more we have people at Toadabar, the more we have people keep in touch. So it's okay. really nice to have news from the guys. And, you know, once a year, sometimes, well, I always text them on their birthday or at Christmas and everything. But sometimes when it comes like the income tax season, I always have a few phone calls, you know, can you coach me, direct me to uh, some places, this and that. And we keep doing references for apartments. The door is always open. Well, that's good you keep doing that. See, you have more impact than you think, eh? <laughs> you should be proud of that because I see a lot of volunteers doing prison work. And it's a pretty thankless job in a lot of ways. You know, like it's hard, you don't move forward very much. And every once in a while, they get something that's rewarding to them. And I think that's what a person has to look at in this type of work. You do get some successes, but you got to do it also because you feel that you're making a difference. You feel that it fulfills you in some way. And I'm sure that I'm sure that you must I obviously. Like, I, I like to solve problems, really. That's oh man, my, you took the biggest problem I, I of have, all. <laughs> I have really low patience for some things, and I have a lot of patience for others. Okay. And like making phone calls at Service Canada or Quebec or whatever, I have patience for that. And I don't know why, but I do. So for me, it can help for sure. That brings up a question I'd like to ask. You get subsidies to run the program from CSC. So how do they view this program, and uh, do you have any problems dealing with them, or do they look at this like a limited program or something that could be built upon? Well, first of all, we started the program in 2010, and it took two years for the CSC to come on board and to start the financial thing. So we're really happy it happened. Anyway, the, the, the people I talk with in the community, they're really enthusiastic about Toadabar. The, the POs really are really enjoy our services. And, you know, we, we do a lot of tasks that they don't have time to do, like to go to the bank, to um, the guy has to do budget, and I, I can help with the, the, the bills and do the budget and everything I, ha- I can go to the bank to straight situations, to go to the welfare because he didn't have his check or to do some revision. Yeah. Anyway, so a lot of tasks that we do, that it helped them in their work. So they're really happy about that. Of course, they go and, and, and see the guys in the apartment. But sometimes, well, most of the time, the meetings are done in an office. And in an office, it's hard, you know, the person talks, it's general. They don't see the person in their own life They don't know if he can do phone calls and how he expresses himself at the bank. Is he able to explain the problems he has with the bank or the welfare? Does he have the patience to do it? Does he know the the food banks? And is he able to take the bus or the metro? Is he getting lost because he doesn't know Montreal? Like they don't know. When you meet people in an office, you don't know all all these things. And it's when you meet people in an apartment and day-to-day that you really understand all the challenges they go through. They understand it too, it's just they don't do that. So anyhow, we'll get away from there because uh, my personal view of parole officers may not be the same <laughs> as yours. 
Okay, but I wanted to know, do you go out and promote yourself? Well, do you go to halfway houses? I understand you go into prisons. Could you tell me a little bit about how you go and you promote yourself to prisons? Yes, we do promotions toward POs in detention, in the community, in halfway houses, and in office in the community. We also do promotion in jail for the inmates, and we're going to start promotion in the halfway houses with the inmates. We're already doing it for the staff, but not for the guys. They're going to sort of set up meetings for eligible people to come to these programs? Is that the type well, of thing? Well, they have their... Every week, there's a soirée communautaire. I think that yeah. everybody has to be it's, there. It's and mandatory. Yeah, mandatory they, you have to be there for at least so an hour. The, yeah, so the goal is to try to be there when the most people are there. So it's the a captive audience. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and in a halfway house, there's, what, 20-something people? Bigger, in jail, there's yeah. more chance of meeting people. So it's more efficient. But still, I think um, we need to do that. Like I know other groups go in there, halfway houses go into, mm-hmm. it's like an informational yeah. fair. And so you set up a little booth and you say, yeah. hey, this is what we offer. Yeah, we talk to the mic, like microphone and say, hey, I'm Catherine from Bar. If you want to come and ask us questions, we are at this place and people just come by. And now I'm going to do promotion with my dog that I have from the Fondation Mira. Uh, he's going to yeah. be a working dog and I'm fostering him for a year. So I'm going to bring him now to different penitentiary. He's going to be my mascot and he's going to attract more people. So I'm really. Uh, <laughs> he definitely. Definitely will attract more people. But I'm really telling cute. you, for sure, that's going to be a big hit there, and that's really nice on your part, also, because that's a big treat for the guys. Okay, so we've been to the pens, we've been to the minimums, we've been to halfway houses, and we talked a lot about the program here. And I'm sure, as soon as this interview is over, there's going to be a million questions popping through my head. Why didn't I ask her that? Why didn't I ask her that? Catherine, can you give me some specific example of your program where you can help the men and women that you take in? Well, they are adapted to the demands and needs of everyone. There's, of course, listening, encouragement, coaching, and decision-making, companionment, different resources such as food banks, um, appointment with doctors if they need me to be there, how to be able to avoid loneliness and boredom, uh, budget support, income tax. Uh, We also provide compensatory work to pay tickets of course we we can help to fight for their rights you know if if they think that the welfare cut their check for no reason we can go and ask questions ask for revision and everything i give them of course a second opinion when they have decisions to make we know a lot of places in montreal where we can buy things for cheap how to look for an apartment giving references of course yeah the goal is to find something better I want them to be happy, to have a bigger place, better located, yeah, something yeah. better than For what them. we provide. Because, you know, therapy, of course, they they offer the therapy. And then sometimes they, they provide supervised apartment. And I went to visit few of them. And the, the apartment they provide, they are really big and they are really renovated. Everything's new and everything's so nice. And it's like 20% of your income. And it's perfect. But you can only stay for one or two years. And I think that when the people leave these supervised apartments after therapy, it's like taking a down step. Because obviously when you're looking for an apartment at 550 or 600 the apartment, the regular apartment you're going to find, it's going to be expensive. The quality will be less than what they're used, you know, for two years. So that's not what we want here. We want small apartments, not too expensive. 
and the goal is to build up from there. I can understand where you're coming from. You start an apartment, maybe it's not downtown penthouse, but I'll tell you what, it's not bad. Compared to prison cell, it's pretty damn good. And then, but you're right. That's how life should be. You should be able to move forward, be happy, and, you yeah. know, like you well, acquire a few things. Well, it's the best case scenario. We, yeah. That's our goal. But, of course, you know, it doesn't end always like that. But hopefully... Well, you know, yeah. you're not here to make somebody an angel for the rest of their lives. Let's, but as long if they work their way through that program and they go in the community and screw up, well, you did at least your success here through the program Tordabor. So I hope that continues there. I'm sure it will. Like, I mean, you have how many apartments and where yeah, we, and we, what we, do you want to do moving forward for Tordabor? Well, we started in 2010 with nine apartments in one neighborhood. And over the year, every year, I took more and more apartments. Now we have 29 apartments in three different districts or neighborhood of Montreal. Like I said, we have now one and a half, two and a half, and we have our new concept is um, like mini studios in Codenage. So I don't know, maybe one day we're going to leave Montreal, but nothing is certain. You we say leave, <laughs> you mean expand. Yes, but I don't want to... You're not like going to no leave. Expectation. No, no, leave meaning, yeah, no, no, not leave, uh, taking my retirement. No, no, when I, not you, <laughs> no, I mean Tua yeah, you're Tua not going to shut down all well, the apartments in Montreal. if they continue to appreciate Tua we, we still need the money, but uh, yeah, no, everybody's happy with Tua What I mean is, yeah, you just hope taking to expand over it to, the world. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, if you're going to shoot, shoot big, like Albus Caraton, think big. Yeah, well, that's good if you can move out because there's probably a lot of people who, in prison who want something like this, but maybe they're up in Gaspé or something like oh, that. Now, Gaspé. maybe you're not going to be up there, but you could no. go to Quebec City, something closer to their place, maybe. We'll see. We're going to look for partners. It's always a challenge to convince owners to work with us. Of course, I think that now we, we made our, well, in French, we call it, on a fait nos preuves, we made our proof. Prove that you could do what you said you're going to do. That's it. There's a reason why we started with nine apartments and now we have 29. It's because the guys and women that we have are good residents. They pay the rent or they leave. We take care of the problems, so it's really convenient for them. And now we have a lot of experience and we have other owners as references, so hopefully we're going to be able to make new partnership. But I'm so busy right now that I cannot plan anything else but one day maybe. So now you have another helper, and you're gonna, maybe yeah. going to have to have two or uh, three more. Well, mm. if they can buy me a car, I'm going to be able to get out of Montreal and find uh, new places to work for now. Okay. I know there's a lot of people thankful, men and women thankful, that this program exists and they benefit from it. That program is big, but the services you offer, your personal input, I believe is even bigger. Whether somebody comes here or not, like uh, you worked around inmates before you started Twitterboard, and all your time here. Now, whether somebody comes comes to the program or not, just from your life experience, from your view, not from a prisoner's view, an ex-prisoner's view. What I want is somebody in your position who could tell somebody who is getting out of prison. I mean, do they have life to look forward to, hope or whatever? What would you tell these people? Take your time, one thing at a time. Be patient. You will have to persevere. You will need to learn to ask for help. That's basically the main thing I can... Life is not easy, and you got to understand there's going to be setbacks. Yeah, and they have to remember that sometimes they're super idealistic, and I understand that if you're doing time, the only thing you want is getting out. And then I think that you kind of idealize what is life outside, and then they kind of get really disappointed because it's responsibilities, it goes fast, there's pressure... 
I don't want to burst the bubble of anyone. There's plenty of great things and good things, but also there's a lot of challenges. And sometimes the guys are not prepared. They only imagine all the fun it's going to be. And, you know, just being out of jail, they think everything perfect. And all the people who's not in jail are perfect and so great. And no, they're not, they're yeah. human. Yeah, it's, uh, sometimes it's more difficult than what they think. You know, I went through that whole trip there a few times I got out, and I wanted everything right now, mm -hmm. my way, and I wasn't going to live poor. All it did was get me back in jail. This time I got out, I've been out a couple of years, and especially the first year was extremely hard, and I even doubted it and doubted myself a few times, but I hanged in there because I was finally tired enough to give it a shot. And I'm sure glad I did, but you're right. You gotta go slow. Yeah. You gotta take your time. The first three yeah. months are surviving, basically. But I receive a lot of guys going straight from jail to here. Well, actually, it's not true. They have to go to CHC, you know, Dépanage. There's two houses in Montreal. It's just for the time that they receive their first welfare check. But when they arrive and they have a welfare check of 650 and the rent is 400. I mean, there's not a lot of money left to eat, to buy a cell phone, to buy a bus pass. So until they find a job or they increase their income, it's a real challenge and it's surviving. You know, I always say that if you pass the first few months, it will go easier after. But it's, it's the first few months that are the toughest. I like that because you didn't candy coat anything. You spoke the truth, but you also give some hope. Coming from you who've seen it and help people all the time, it rings so much better. The community has to remember that social reintegration is not a one-way thing. The person goes in jail, they work on themselves, they change. Now we have to do our part and integrate them. That's an excellent way to end the interview, just saying what you just said. Well, I just said it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to cut it. I swear it to God, she's going she's gonna to have my job before this is over. By the time they listen to me and her, they're going to say, we're hiring her and firing you. That's for sure. I would like to remind people in the community that social reintegration, it's not a one-way thing. Inmates go inside, they pay their debt, uh, they work on themselves, they work really hard, uh, they start from scratch after, and the least we can do is to really reintegrate them, is to be there when they're going to come back in the community. And I'm talking about job, I'm talking about apartments, I'm talking about leisure, financial thing, and it's not a one-way deal. Social reintegration works two ways. There's the person who needs to reintegrate, work on themselves, change. But there is also the community and the society who need to accept them and welcome them back. And I'm talking about not only apartment jobs, but in it's like we have a role to play. As member of the community, we have a role to play in social reintegration. We cannot only think that it's, it's their in inmate's problem or it's jail problem or it's whoever problem. It's everyone's problem. And I think that if we want to make it work, we need to be open and we need to give them a chance to come back and start again. Who never needed a second chance? Very well said. Thanks, Catherine. I knew you'd be a great interview and you proved me right again. Now, it was a great interview with Catherine. She does a great job. I I wish there was more, she could get a hundred more apartments because it really is a great asset for people getting out of prison who need that help. Okay, now we're going to go for another song here, and then we'll wrap this puppy up.
Man, that's great music. Running Down a Dream by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. I hope everybody out there can run down their dreams too. Okay, for more information or info, check out past episodes of the Prison Radio Show at prisonradioshow.wordpress.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Prison Radio Show. The Prison Radio Show airs twice a month on CKUT. We're on the air on the second Thursday of the month at 5 p.m. and the fourth Friday at 11, p- at 11 a.m. The next Prison Radio Show will air Thursday, September 12th at 5 p.m. If you have any questions or anything that you have heard on today's show, or if you wish to be involved with the show, feel free to contact us at prison at ckut.ca. Formerly incarcerated people are encouraged to participate. Folks can also leave a message on our listener comment line at 514-448-4041, extension 2547. If you are in prison, we encourage you to participate in the show in any way possible. Feel free to write us at The Prison Radio Show or simply write PRS, care of CKUT, 3647 University Street, Montreal, Quebec, H3A28A. CKUT. I don't know. 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 CKUT. 
the number one radio station in Montreal. We give you the sun, the moon, the rain, the stars and the mountain. CKUT give you the world. <laughs> you, you, are, you are listening to... <laughs> See, I can't say it. <laughs> CKUT in Montreal. <laughs>